Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I don't know if you've ever had this time in your life or season in your life where uh, you just just felt maybe like you're exhausted, right? You, you had, uh, you know, you're trying, you're kind of getting pulled in different directions in life, um, you're trying your best to be the best father, the best husband, and pastor, and employee, and for me, a football official, and all the things that I'm getting stretched different ways, and you just feel like you're kind of falling short in all those areas. And you kind of feel physically and mentally and even spiritually just depleted and defeated. And you know, I certainly had one of those weeks, and, and maybe you can relate to that. I've, you know, you, you turn on the news every day, you see something new going on, um, you, you wonder what kind of impact you're having. Uh, what kind of world you're going to leave your children to, the next generation to. And you just feel like, at some point, what's, what's the point? Maybe you felt like it's time to just throw in the towel and give it up. You've done the best you could, but nothing seems to be working. And the enemy just seems to keep being victorious. And this morning, if that's you, I, I hope this message will be encouraging to you. That's, that's the kind of week that I had, honestly. I was spiritually depleted a little bit. And my prayer all week as I was preparing for this message was that I could hit home with someone, maybe in this room or watching online, that's been through that, maybe that experienced that this very week for various reasons. And I hope that this message today, as we're walking through Acts and continue to do that, will give you a little bit of a boost to get back in the ring and to continue the fight for the mission of Christ. This morning we're going to walk through a story in Acts 6 and 7. And it's about a, a man named Stephen. And I've titled this message, A Call to Persevere. And if you're familiar with that story about Stephen, you're probably thinking, why did he choose that title? Because you probably know how the story ends. You probably remember that, that Stephen died for his faith. So it seems like on the surface it's another story of defeat for the church, for Christians. In fact, Stephen was the very first martyr for the Christian church. So it seems like another victory for Satan, our enemy, but it couldn't be further from the truth. So before we dive into the story this morning, I really need us to understand what it means to persevere as a Christian. We need to get to the root of that definition because it's a lot different than the worldly view of persevering. So I want us to begin our time actually in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, open up to 2 Timothy. I'm going to read a little passage in chapter 4. And I think the Apostle Paul here, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, provides us with the best explanation of what it means to persevere as a Christian. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 he writes this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is his instruction. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around with a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They, were, 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you, you must do this. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discourage, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then he says this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I read this passage this morning and I was energized. I was ready for the battle again as I was struggling through this week and getting pulled in different directions and wasn't able to attend things like my daughter's softball games or things going on in my family's life because of responsibilities. The passage uplifted me and encouraged me and I'm sure that's how Timothy felt when he first read this passage this letter from his mentor, Tim, uh, Phil, uh, Paul. Paul writes, preach the word. Preach the word. We've got to be prepared in season and out of season. No matter where you're at in life, you've got to be prepared for it. No matter what our search situation or our circumstances, we're called to correct. We're called to rebuke the world and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And man, do I struggle with that. I struggle with the patience and the careful instruction. I struggle with that. We're called to endure hardships and keep our head in all situations. Doing the work of an evangelist. He wasn't talking to a pastor here. He was talking to Timothy, his understudy. And I'm reading these words of encouragement, and I'm thinking, I'm failing. I'm falling short of this because I struggle in circumstances and things that are happening around the world that are completely out of my control. I let my anger take over. I let my emotions take over. And I have to do better for Christ. Paul continues, and he says, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. And the time is now, church. We're living that prophecy right now. We're living in the midst of the world not listening to sound doctrine. Even people in the church, the people that we've looked up to in the past as great spiritual leaders, they want to take part of scripture that makes them feel good inside and distort other parts of scripture to make it fit their worldly lifestyle. People that we've admired for years. Just some examples this week of really that was hitting heavy on my heart. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but the governor of California has been posting billboards all around the country. And they state, if you want to have an abortion, come to California. And that's not the worst part. The worst part is under it is a quote from Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Complete and utter blasphemy from a state leader, using the words of Jesus Christ to endorse, promote, and market abortion. We're living in a world 
were the creator of VeggieTales. Many of you are familiar with VeggieTales. Just this month came out with a new short episode titled, Laura Carrick Gets an Abortion. I wish I was telling you fake news, but this is truth. This is the world we're living in. And this is what I was struggling with all week spiritually, of the world that we're living in, that we're facing these battles daily. And yesterday was probably the accumulation of all those things summed up into one Saturday morning. Many of you know I officiate football. And I'm officiating a third and fourth grade football game. And after the third coach that we had to eject from the game, I had that coach nose to nose with me, cursing at me, and telling me he's going to wait for me in the parking lot. I had to have three board members from that league escort two pastors that were officiating that game to their cars for safety. This is the world we're in. We can't trust anyone outside of our church family to teach, to coach, to educate our children. They're after them. They're after you. We have to monitor everything going on. We can't just ignore it and hope that God's going to take care of it and that the next generation is not just going to fall away from Christ. We live in a world where they're coming after the extinction of Christianity. And Jesus warned us of this. In Matthew 7, 15, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I never thought or imagined that I'd have to monitor our kindergarten and preschool veggie tale episodes with our kids here at Grace Kids. So how do we stay the course? How do we recognize truth from deception? And how do we win this daily battle that we're in? And hopefully that's what we're going to try to figure out this morning. Because we can't fall short. We can't fail our children. We can't pray that everything's just going to turn out okay and turn our eyes to what's going on in the world. We have to be the godly examples for the next generation. And I feel like something incredible is going to happen through those kids. I see it. I believe it. But we have to continue to fight for our church, for our Savior, for the next generation of the church. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be able to utter those words that Paul just uttered in 2 Timothy. And I want to be able at the end of my life to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I kept the faith. Better yet, I hope others will say that about me. I know those were the words that were spoken at Stephen's memorial. Because Stephen was a man of wisdom. He was a man that was full of faith. He was a man that was prepared for the battle that was coming after him. He was prepared to correct and to rebuke and to encourage and even display grace in the midst of his murder. He endured hardships, he evangelized, and he discharged all the duties of his ministry. Was he an apostle? No. Was he a pastor? No. He was just a follower of Christ that knew what that responsibility meant. And he persevered to the end. He knew 
that at the end here on earth, the end of his journey, the end, the finish line was the beginning of glory in heaven. And he finished his race well, and he received that crown in glory. This, this passage and this preparation has, has been a struggle this week. It's been, been emotional to, to think about the things that are happening in our world. But So before we continue, I just want to spend a moment in prayer. I think we need that after some of the things that we've already heard this morning. Lord, I pray that you just give me strength to deliver your message that you laid on my heart this week. And like many others in this room and watching online, I have a heavy heart because we're in the midst of the storm. We're in the midst of the battle. And sometimes we feel like we're physically and spiritually depleted, Lord. And we need to feel your holy presence to rejuvenate us this morning. And allow us to understand that you're with us in the midst of this battle. Encourage us to fight the good fight and to finish the race. I pray these things in your name this morning. Amen. Let's go back to the book of Acts. We're going to spend our time this morning in Acts 6 and 7, reading about this incredible man, Stephen. And the backstory here, as we learned a little bit last week, is that the church is growing. The apostles and the church of Christ is doing what Jesus instructed them to do, and they're making more disciples daily. The church is increasing, and the apostles can't do it all. The work is plenty, and the workers are few. And so the, the apostles decide what they're going to do is they're going to get together. They're going to select seven men, and these men are going to be the first deacons of the Christian church. And their primary responsibility is going to be to take care of the church. It's like our congregational care team does here, and they do that well. They take care of the church and for these particular men, the primary job was going to be specifically the meal distribution for the widows of the church. And this will allow the apostles to focus their primary attention to prayer and to the ministry of the world. And so I'm going to pick up in chapter 6, verse 5. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnas, Nicholas, and Antioch, a converse to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen here is described right off the get-go as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was the number one draft choice, so to speak, for these apostles. He was the first guy that came to mind when this job duty came up. When we're talking about deacons and, and taking care of other believers, other Christians, this was the first guy they thought of because he was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And we, turn, and we find out he was not only just a great deacon, he turned out to be a great evangelist. Verse 8, it says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from men, members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, 
Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Listen to this. All who were sitting there in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. They didn't see a criminal. They saw the face of an angel. Stephen, from what we know so far, was full of of wisdom, full of faith in God's power. He was the first one, aside from the apostles, that was performing miracles and healing. And and here he's being persecuted, just like Jesus. He's being wrongfully accused, and, and he was able to stay calm, not lose his focus. How's he able to do that? You know, it's natural for us to defend ourselves. When I'm in that moment yesterday and I have a, another dad, a coach, nose to nose with me, it's, it's natural for us to want to raise our fist and you can feel the blood boiling inside and to defend yourself. In chapter 7, the, the priest asked Stephen, are these charges true against you? And this is Stephen's time to shine. This is what he's prepared himself for. And we're not going to have time to read through all of chapter 7, but I would encourage you to do that this week. Because Stephen goes in to a sermon. He goes into a dissertation when the history of the Israelites' disobedient behavior towards God, all the way from Abraham to Solomon. He reminds these Jews of how they continually fail God. I want us to look ahead into verse 51. He does a great job of preaching to these so-called church leaders of the Sanhedrin. And then he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. That was Stephen's mic drop moment. Boom. I can't imagine what these leaders of the church were thinking as these words were coming out of Stephen's mouth. Their jaws must have been dropped. Stephen was ready for this day. And even though he didn't know it at the time, this was God's purpose for his life. Because as we're going to learn over the next few weeks, this catapulted, this experience catapulted the most powerful minister that our church has ever had, the Apostle Paul. But today, this, this story is about Stephen. He was... 
He wasn't focused on being some sort of superhero or some sort of martyr. He was just focused on living a Jesus-centered life. And he was able to continue and persevere through these accusations, through this trial, through the conviction, and the eventual death. He remained faithful. And he was able to do that, and I'm going to share these things with you this morning. He was able to do that because he stuck with three basic principles that all of us, as followers of Christ, should stick to and follow. The first one was that he was prepared. You have to be prepared for situations like this, to not lose your cool. Because they're coming for us, church. That's the reality. The world is coming for you and me and for our children. They were coming for Stephen. They came for Jesus, and that didn't stop things when he was crucified. The apostles kept preaching. The church kept getting stronger. It kept growing. And so they wanted to make an example out of Stephen. And that didn't work either. We have to be prepared. We have to be prepared like Stephen for anything that's going to come our way. How do I know that Stephen was prepared? I'll tell you how I know. Because he was involved in the church. He surrounded himself with godly men and women every day. The first person that the apostles thought of when it came to this position of deacon was Stephen. He was at the top of the list. 1 Timothy 3.8 says that deacons are to be men of trustworthy, of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing else against them, then they can serve as deacons. And Stephen was the standard here. He met all those qualifications. He was already battle-tested. The word of God was embedded into his heart because he devoted his life to learning the word of God, to spending time with other believers, to living a Jesus-centered life. He went through a 50-verse dissertation on the Old Testament, and he didn't ask the Sanhedrin to bring out the scrolls so he could do that. He recited it by memory. He knew the scriptures by heart. He knew God, and he truly cared about the church of Christ. He was a clear choice for the first deacon, for the first evangelist outside of the apostles, and for the first martyr of the church. He was prepared. He would not fold under pressure. He wouldn't deny Christ when things got difficult. He would spend every minute of his life working towards sanctification, working towards being more like Christ. He practiced his faith on a daily basis. He practiced it. You know, one of the few moments of joy that I did have this week was watching my youngest daughter, Grace, uh, softball practice. My, both my daughters are, are big into softball, and they're playing in a fall league <clears throat> in Holidaysburg, and so I went to pick her up, and I caught the last 20 minutes of practice. And, you know, I've been there as a coach. She's, she's eight years old. These are eight U kids, uh, seven and eight-year-olds. And 
Um, maybe you've coached the sport and you've kind of been where this coach was at. I was watching this coach for 20 minutes straight just throwing balls up into the air, hoping that leather would hit one of them. It was just boom, dropping one after another. And I'm, I'm feeling, I'm sympathizing for this coach. His shoulder's got to be sore at this point. And finally, after 20 minutes, one girl caught the ball. And I'm sure that made the whole practice for him. And I thought through that. My, my daughter does her best, but that's, that's difficult. Everybody says that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in baseball. But for young kids, catching that fly ball has certainly got to be right up there. And, and I remember I was thinking back as I was watching this, thinking back to my oldest daughter who's 12 in 12 years ball. And where she was at at that time and the growth that she's had and the practice that she's put in. I remember her being there, not catching anything. And now she's, she loves it, and she's taking um, lessons, and she has a one-on-one -on -one instructor. And I remember the same week, uh, she had a, a softball game, and her instructor over the past couple weeks has been working on backhands, just one after another, just practicing it, you know, getting in that rhythm. And she normally catches. She doesn't play the infield too much, but when she does, she plays first base or third. And for some reason this week, the coach put her – at shortstop, the very first time she's ever played. And there was a ball hit right in the gap between third and short. And she went over there, and my jaw just dropped because it was just so natural. She just backhanded it at 11, and she, she got ready to throw it to first and, and made a nice throw. And it's like, that's what practice does. She's, there's no way she could have done that a year ago or two years ago. But she loved it. She worked hard at it. She was where my other daughter's at right now, but she's gotten so much better because of preparation, because of practice, because of the hard work she put into it. We have to be prepared for things when they get difficult. We have to be ready. When things seem impossible, practice is what's going to pay off. I'm sure you've probably said that as a coach if you've been there. When everything is up against you, when everything in your life seems like it's impossible, everybody's after us as believers, you remember that, hey, I've surrounded myself with godly men and women in my life. That's my core group. I've spent time in that grace group midweek or on Sunday nights, and I spent time in the Word of God. So when things get difficult, I'm ready. I've lived it out. I've lived a Jesus-centered life, and not just through words, but in action. I've practiced it, and I'm ready. That's you. You're ready. Stephen was able to persevere because he prepared himself for that. But he was also able to persevere because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Luke already informed us of this twice, so that we can, we can probably assume that maybe Stephen was present on that day of Pentecost when, when the Christians, when the church first received that gift of the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 2.42, we read this a few weeks ago, that, that this group of believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We know that Stephen was also full of the Holy Spirit because he performed great wonders and miracles amongst the people. 
He's the first Christian outside of the apostles to be able to do that. And that only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man cannot do that. Stephen gave him his entire life to the Lord. He allowed the Holy Spirit to consume him. He lived a Jesus-centered life, and he did his best to imitate Christ. We saw that through that conversation already. The people were making the same accusations that they made of Jesus to Stephen. There was false witnesses, false testimony. And if that isn't enough evidence that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, look at how he spoke to the Sanhedrin. He did that with great confidence. He spoke eloquently and he rebuked them and corrected them. Verse 51, he said to them pretty sternly, you stiff-necked people. And you may be looking at that passage thinking, there's no way that I would have the confidence, the courage to speak to someone like that, especially the so-called leaders of the church. I couldn't possibly defend my faith in public or have that difficult conversation, worldly conversation about when life begins at conception with a coworker. Listen to me, church, this morning. I want to give you the confidence that you can do just that. You can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you prepare, if you practice, if you know your scripture, if you've been in those grace groups, you spent time with godly men and women, and you allow the Holy Spirit to consume you, you can do just that. And it doesn't matter if you're sharing your testimony downstairs with a second grader and grace kids, or you're defending your faith and sharing the gospel and your testimony out in that world, outside of these protective walls, you can do that. There's evidence of that in Scripture. That's why I want you to turn with me to Luke. Hold your finger in Acts because we'll be coming back there. But I want you to go to Luke for a minute. Luke chapter 12. Jesus here in this passage is speaking specifically to the disciples. But at the beginning of chapter 12, it says that there was a crowd of many thousands that had gathered. So it's quite possible that Stephen was amongst that crowd. It's quite possible that these words of Christ imprinted on his heart. And as he was going through this difficult moment, he remembered the words of Christ. Because it's almost a foretelling of what was about to happen. In Luke 12, verse 11. says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. Some of you have probably experienced that. I know I have. I, I know I've been places where I can't explain it, but the, but the Holy Spirit stirred up in something inside of me where I had to have a conversation with a complete stranger. And I didn't know what I was going to say to him. I didn't know how that conversation was going to go. But God provided the words. He provided the scripture that I needed to, to speak wisely in that moment. And we must remember as we go through these difficult situations, and they're going to continue to get harder and harder in life, 
that if we're a born-again Christian, we have the creator of the universe with us at all times. That's our ammunition. No matter how many times we feel alone in this world, I'm sure you felt that, maybe even this week, where you feel alone, and you feel like hope is lost, and you feel like thrown in the towel, that you got to remember that Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of you. This man that we're reading about this morning, Stephen, he was prepared. He did the work. He allowed the Holy Spirit to consume him. And Stephen also persevered because he was a man of prayer. He was a prayer warrior. I want us to go back to Acts here and just read how this story ends. Because it's incredible. In Acts 7, 54, we read about the stoning of Stephen. After he was wrongfully accused and prosecuted, said when they heard all this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, again, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up at heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see heaven open and Son of man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was witness to all of this. Saul proved all of this. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Sounds a little familiar. Receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out and he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Man, what a powerful example of prayer. I don't know that I could do that. Stephen was able to do that and have the power to do that because he was prepared for it. He knew what was coming. He allowed the Holy Spirit to give him his strength to get through that. And in the very midst, amongst his last breaths, he prayed for those people that were stoning him to death. I don't know that I could display that level of grace amongst my wrongful murder in the midst of it. I have trouble praying for the leaders right now of our country. They're making some really poor decisions. They're impacting things that I care about, like my wallet and the price of gas. Spiritual issues like abortion. You know, one of the things that my wife and I started doing very early with our children was to do nighttime prayers. I'm sure many of you have experienced that with your children and your grandchildren. And we started at a very young age, and before bed, we all get together as a family, and we pray for those in need, people that are on our prayer chain here at church, uh, people that we know need a physical healing from God, uh, people that we sponsor through Food, food for the Hungry, 
And then also leaders in our country. We pray for the president and our governors and our local officials even, uh, members of the Supreme Court that are making these decisions. And I really honestly can't take credit for that. That's something that my wife really got started with them. And it, it's so refreshing to hear, you know, my, my seven-year-old praying for the president of the United States that he makes better decisions. And that he follows God's will, not his own. That's a struggle for me to do, if I'm honest with you. You know, it's easy to pray for people in leadership roles when, when they're making decisions based on biblical principles and they're making decisions that benefit us as Christians. But it's a lot more difficult when those leaders are putting up billboards around the country that are blaspheming Christ. But that's what we're instructed to do, right? Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 50, 43, and it's up on the screen here for you. It's, he says, you have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's what Stephen did until the very end. He was a prepared Christian. He allowed the Holy Spirit to consume his life. And he prayed for his enemies in the middle of getting rocks thrown at him. He was the ultimate example of what a Jesus-centered life should look like. And as I studied Stephen this week, I think that he just lived by a simple creed. What would Jesus do? Some of us probably remember that saying, right? WWJD. Maybe we need to get back to that a little bit. What would Jesus do? Stephen lived a life that was imitating Christ. He made it look so easy and simple. Paul instructed us to do this in the book of Ephesians. He said, be imitators of God. Stephen did this. He had his eyes on the finish line. He didn't get distracted by all the circumstances or the situations that were completely out of his control. He focused himself on living a Jesus-centered life. My hope and my prayer all week, this, this week as I prepared, was that hopefully you would be encouraged by this life of Stephen. To get back in the race. Get back in the ring. And I don't want you to be encouraged by Stephen because he was some sort of superhero or because he was the first martyr of the Christian church. But no, just because Stephen devoted his life to Christ. He was an imitator of Christ. It didn't matter about the pure persecution or the death because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He prepared himself and he spent his life in prayer. He was ready to do whatever needed to be done for Jesus. It was as simple as that. Remember what Paul said to us in Philippians. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, to be worthy of dying for Jesus. What, what more could we hope for 
as a Christian. To be worthy of being persecuted like Christ was. I don't know where you're at this morning in your journey, in your walk, in your faith. But I would encourage you to come back tonight for our grace group time in the evening because we're going to be challenging each other tonight on some of those shortcomings in our faithfulness to God. But that's what's needed if we want to be prepared for what's coming at us. We've got to challenge ourselves. We've got to recognize our shortcomings and get better and be more imitating of Christ. Some of you this morning, maybe even watching online, are struggling to even comprehend this story of Stephen because you've never given your heart over to Christ. You've never allowed the Holy Spirit to consume you, so you can't understand or comprehend why would Stephen do this? How could he do it? The good news about that is that you can do that right here and right now. You don't have to leave this place without giving your life to Christ. There's pastors in this room that would love to pray with you. There's people sitting right beside you that would love to pray with you and help you walk to Christ. Maybe you are a believer this morning. Maybe you've known Christ for a long time. But if, if you're honest with yourself, there's some shortcomings. Maybe you're allowing this world to distract you and pull you in different directions like I experienced this week. And the result of that is going to be a disconnect with God and your relationship with God. Maybe we need to get back to the basics of what would Jesus do? and How do we be prepared for what's coming? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to consume us and spend more time in prayer, make making prayer a priority in our lives so we can be ready for these spiritual battles because they're coming. We're kind of in this umbrella here in our community, but it's coming for us, church. It's coming for our school districts. It's coming for our homes. It's coming for our children. It's coming for our pastors. That's the reality. And if you're not making preparation, the Holy Spirit and prayer a priority in your life, we can change that right now, too. God's in this place this morning. He knows your thoughts. He knows your fears. He knows where you're at in your relationship with him. So this morning, as we close, I just pray that we renew our commitment to Christ this morning. Let's be imitators of Christ. Let's be the example because there's a lot of people in our community and our world they are not going to read the Word of God, but they're going to read the Word of God through us. They're going to see it through us. So let's be imitators of Christ. Let's